Hey, we're about to talk about Detective Pikachu because, of course, we are. We have both seen the movie. We won't spoil, like, too much, but there are some very minor spoilers in this episode, so be forewarned about that. Let's just, like, start right now. I'm, I'm jealous that you guys have an Alamo draft house because uh, there's one that's going to open in LA soon. And I was hoping that they would open before Detective Pikachu came out because I was really curious what sort of stuff they would play before Detective Pikachu. Yeah, they, they played um, they played a lot of old ads. Um, mm. And it was really cool to see because there was one, I oh my gosh, there was one for like the spinny top that you would get out of like cereal. And mm. I remember I had one of those. I just remembered when I saw that commercial, it's like I had the Merrill one. And you just, it's like a top that you like, you do this. You just rip it? You Well, you don't rip it. It's like, it's just one of those ones where you have to like, um, like uh like dash it on the ground and then put it on the ground and let oh, let go oh yeah i had one of those too you had one of those too yeah yeah they were so great i had a merrill one and i oh man the memories i had a jigglypuff one really All right, you've logged on to some free Wi-Fi. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm Esteban Fajardo. I'm Catherine Fox. Yeah, that's Catherine Fox. That's me. We usually talk about some video games on this podcast, making them. And playing them. Playing them and figuring out what the heck, what the heck. So to answer this question, what we brought on uh, a wonderful guest, our co-host Catherine Fox. You're yes. going to be our guest at the same time. Yes, I am. I am the guest today. Welcome to Free Wi-Fi. I'm it's glad. Good to have you. I'm. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> so we're we were talking about some Detective Pikachu, right? Yes, I I just saw it this weekend. Um, you saw it opening night. And oh yeah, I saw we're, it. We're wild. Night. We're wild about it. All about them Pokemons. Pokemons. God, it was so good. The story of Pokemon is that it initially released in 1996 in Japan and in the US came out in 1998 with like everything all at once. Um, ah, okay. So that's why the game came out and the the show came out and like everything happened like all at once in the states was like there was those couple of years where um, between between coming out in Japan and coming out in the US. So uh, we were four. Yes. When Pokémon Blitz like yeah, Pokemon Mega Blitz. Hit. I feel like I've only ever known a world full of Pokemon. Everywhere yes. I turn, every street I walk down, there are Pokemon <laughs> there. And only recently did we invent the technology to see them on our daily commutes through our phones. Mm-hmm. And now uh, the documentary film Detective Pikachu has great stars, screens, and imaginations. So you had a good time, but you didn't get any Pokemon cards. No. This is really disappointing. Yeah, so you... When I was seeing on Discord, y'all, y'all in Los Angeles got together and saw the movie, like, what, like midnight? Did you see the midnight showing? Pretty much. Oh my gosh. It and wasn't, they, but we'll say it was. And they gave you, they gave you Pokemon cards. Yeah, we got some Pokemon cards. I have not opened my Pokemon cards. <gasps> you haven't opened your Pokemon cards? I have not opened my Pokemon cards. How could you resist? How, it's, it has taken a lot of willpower to resist this Pokemon card opening. But I figure 
these Pokemon cards are going to be really valuable in the future, oh right? Oh, gosh. This is going to be like Death of Superman. That comic book, everyone was like, we can, we have to buy a copy of the issue where Superman dies so that our children can go through college when we sell it. Except everyone did this, and so no one made any money off of this. And it Do you was know complete... how many Detective Pikachu <laughs> cards there probably are now? <laughs> Look, I, I was jealous, so after I saw the movie, I went to Target and bought my own. So... How many cards do you have? I have one, two, That's like three, a stack. four, five, six. I have eight because I got the, the thing. I couldn't just buy one pack. I could only get like this case file <laughs> thing that included two packs and also some sun and moon cards and like a little token. And it came with the Detective Pikachu card as like mm. the, the thing. And there's a like it's holographic. There's a holographic effect on it, but it's like supposed to look like little bubbles or like dust on mm. it's like holographic like little little circular bits to kind of look like this noir dusty thing on, on on the picture of pikachu and it's so cool um they've gotten so creative with the holographic stuff i got a mewtwo i'm i'm reliving my childhood wow. i'm so excited so if you ever are you gonna open those cards because i want to know what you have you want to know what I have? Yeah. Should I open these cards? So, like, let's let's, do you really let's want to put the brakes on this a little bit. Okay. So, you remember, do you remember when the first Pokemon movie came out? Pokemon, the first movie? I was probably too young to remember it. Oh, really? So, everyone who went to see that movie got, like, a Mew card? Really? Yeah. Oh, have you never seen this Mew card? Wait, so this Detective Pikachu thing is just a return to form. Yeah, yeah, totally. They used to always give out free cards during um, Pokemon And this movies. Mew card, I guess, is super rare now? Uh, I don't know if it's rare, but it is gorgeous. <laughs> okay, no, you know what? It is uh, $4. $4? However, okay, but this ultra-rare ancient Mew card, so says eBay, is $800. So someone is getting ripped off. Um, I'm going to send you... Is it like the holo- Is it like the um, like pictograph right Mew or like an actual Mew card? Yeah, it is a holographic pictograph. Oh, ancient Mew. Ah, and this is what they gave out at, at the theater? Yeah, yeah. So everyone who went to see see it would be like, whoa. And it was cool because no one's ever had like a card like this before. Like it's not even in English. You can't use it. <laughs> it doesn't have, what's the attack? What's How much HP does it have? It's unknowable and mysterious, just it's like so me. so cool. Just like. <laughs> Fine, just like you. You can yeah, take it. Yeah, just like me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cool looking card. I'm looking at the picture now. Right? It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous Pokemon card. But everyone our our generation and age who went to see this movie like had a copy of one of these cards. It was like a passport. A passport, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so uh when we went to USC, like a lot of the first conversations I had with people would turn into like talking about uh Pokemon because one of our one of our um one of our classmates before school started in the Facebook group for all the incoming students, tried organizing a Pokemon tournament oh, where yeah. every dormitory house was going to have their own gym, basically. Everyone could battle to see who'd be the top player of that yeah. uh, of that dormitory, and they would be the gym leader. And then you could go around and defeat all the gym leaders to... Uh, uh, to, to get collect badges <laughs> and be... That would have been master. so cool. It unfortunately did not quite materialize, but... All of us were super into the idea. We yeah. just didn't have the same copy of Pokemon. Yeah, All that's the problem, different. right? Like the problem is that they were trying to do the digital like video game version. And I think it could have worked out if we were all still into the cards and had the cards and played the game. Yeah, if we did cards, it might have worked. It might have worked. Yeah. Um, 
but this was something that everyone could talk about and we very quickly realized that um all of us had not all of us but like most of us had this mew card uh at least at some point in our in our in our uh past and it was like just the games kids like had this like the film kids had no idea what the heck we were talking about but <laughs> it was like to get into the game school your part of the application was like you had to give them your mew card to like <laughs> that was like your your pass to to make video games uh but all that is just to say that i can't open these pokemon cards it could be valuable in the future you're not the type of person to resell stuff just because it's old and valuable you're never gonna do that you're right i buy that stuff i don't yeah <laughs> i never like this, sell it this is the exact same when i was a kid and learned that toys could be valuable if you just kept them for long enough mm. i like that's i think that was probably the start of like my hoarding tendencies like i mm. It's just something I'm trying to fight back against the past couple of years. You're just like, no, you don't need to own this. You don't need to save it. You're never going to sell it. Just stop. So I don't know. I try not to I try not to keep things for the sake of keeping them anymore. Um, I try to enjoy them because I will die someday. And it rather enjoy something than let it collect dust. Oh, shoot. You're right. So I should open these Pokemon cards is what you're saying. Yes, but, you know, it's your decision. I genuinely did not plan on opening these. Oh, well, I mean, you don't have to open if you don't want to. <laughs> no, you're not coercing me. I think you made a very compelling argument. We are only alive on this earth for such a short period of time. We ought to eat delicious food and enjoy it. Yeah. We ought to smell the roses as we pass them. We ought to gaze upon our Pikachus <laughs> as I they mean, come to us. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a bunch of cards. I'm just gonna get two from this. So. You're gonna get two? Yeah. Oh, okay. I I let's see. I love that card opening sound. Some people won't apologies to them. <laughs> well, too bad. Alright. Here we go. We have first up a detective Pikachu. Heck yeah. You can use the moves Coffee Break, which will heal 30 damage from the Pokemon. And also Corkscrew Punch. Whoa, I have a different one. All I have is Brilliant Deduction. That makes more sense. I can't imagine Pikachu punching someone. Excuse Pikachu's me, arms are did so you tiny. see the movie? Pikachu's arms are so tiny and cute. He can't damage the little nubs on his fingers. He has little tiny bean fingers. It's so cute. He can't hurt his beans. <laughs> he has to protect them. This is the most important part of Pikachu. Oh, I love it. Okay, and the second uh, Pokemon I got is a Morlul. Huh, interesting. Um, a what now? That's the, like... Oh, the fairy Pokemon. The fairy thing, yeah. Yeah, those are from... Uh, I think those are from X and Y. Oh, you know what? There oh. might be Sun and Moon, actually. Because I didn't yeah. recognize them right away in the movie. I, I, I feel like I had seen them before, but I, I didn't know what they were. But mm. yeah, that's, the, that's a fairy. It's like a fairy grass type, I think. They're cute. Yeah, very cute. Cool. So this has been our brief detour into Pokemon land. Actually, we're not done with Pokemon. Yeah, yet. we're not done with Pokemon. So, in that not scene, by a long shot. In that scene <laughs> with that moral fairy Pokemon, you can see like fla babies growing on the side and they were so <laughs> tiny i didn't know they were that tiny 
And you could also see, like, that, that scene was a little bit annoying because all of the Pokemon I wanted to see were in the foreground and blurred out with the depth <laughs> of field, which is fine for, like, cinematic things, but it's like, you can only just barely see the Flabebes, and I love Flabebe, <laughs> or Flabebe, or whatever, however you call it. And there was also uh, Comfies, which are, which are the, they're the fairy type that's like, it's like a lay. They're like a, they look like a lay of flowers, you know, like a ring of mm. fairy types. It was just a bunch of fairy types in that scene. <laughs> oh my God. The Loudrid in the, in the fight scene. Oh, that beatboxing? We're beatboxing. That's pretty clever. Wait, hold on. Uh, spoilers for Detective Pikachu, by the way. Um, anyway, beatboxing. okay. <laughs> yeah, no, like they open on this scene and it's a DJ and there's Loudrid making all the bass sounds and music and I'm just like what a cool what a cool use for Pokemon. <laughs> what a good movie. <laughs> it was so cool. It was oh man. I like the dude who loved his Charizard so much. He got a giant tattoo of Charizard and changed his entire wardrobe so people could look at his giant tattoo of Charizard the entire time. That was extremely relatable. I didn't know he had a Charizard tattoo. Tattoo? Yeah, that's what was on his chest. He like talks about it like. <laughs> oh. He's like, I love my Charizard so much. I got a giant tattoo of a Charizard. <laughs> I liked that guy a lot, actually. I thought he was pretty fun. The Charizard fight scene was like genuinely something. It was a childhood dream of mine to see that in like semi-photo reel, mm-hmm. like that exact scene. Because like as a kid, I was like, you know, I was getting older. I was getting into like, like I was, I was hungry for those grim, dark adaptations. And of course, I was like, what would Pokemon look like in real life, as we all do? And I think at the time, Charizard was my favorite because I was super into dragons. And I was like, man, Charizard would look so cool. And it... <laughs> It was, uh, it was so cool. It was so cool to see, and everything was all animated, and yeah. What did you think of the movie? I thought it was really fun. I had a really fun time. There was like a bunch of things that like bugged me or took me out of it that really don't matter like at all. Like there's a bunch of shots where I wish the like uh, VFX compositing was better. Like some shots it looks really, really, really good, and like those hmm. Pokemon look like they're so in the world. And then there are other times where I was like. Man, these Pokemon aren't casting any shadows on the ground. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why that was something my brain was just looking for, and it shouldn't have because that's a great way to ruin your enjoyment of any movie. <laughs> but um, uh, it is a, a miraculous achievement to have so many Pokemon constantly on all, on the screen, everywhere, mm-hmm. every shot. Just like how cool to just have the world just full of all these little critters. Yeah, and they're all doing something. They all have a role in the city. It's a very Zootopia concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know this for certain, but it feels like everybody who worked on it just genuinely loves Pokemon, and we're just excited to work on it. Yeah. Like, it's just so charming, and there's just like, I don't know. It feels like it was made with love, and I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I hope they make a billion of them. Yeah, I I would be down for a sequel. So, like, the one nitpick I had was similar to to your thing that annoyed you is that um, you could it was pretty obvious that there was only one model per Pokemon. Yeah. Um, and it really only became evident in the scene with when the Bulbasaur appeared. They were clearly all the exact same Bulbasaur copy pasted. There was no like variation (laughs) in how their feet were dirty or like 
or like the shape, like just subtle differences in like the shapes of the bulbs or anything, um, which is like a stupid nitpick and it doesn't even matter. And it doesn't even bother me that much. It's just something that I noticed and took me out of it a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they, they rendered uh, or they, they rigged, they modeled and rigged 80 different Pokemon, which sounds like a huge amount, like 80 mm. Pokemon. But they definitely start, like, repeating as you get, like, towards the end of the movie. Where you're like, yeah, I've actually seen all of these Pokemon several times. And it's weird to realize it's just like, wow, 80 actually, like, isn't that much when you have so many crowd shots. Yeah, no, I was thinking, like, you just threw out that number and I was like, there were a lot of Pokemon in that movie. Way more than 80. Um, and it really, it's really only a problem in that Bulbasaur scene. It's not even a, yeah. it's, it's stupid to call it a problem. It's like, it, it's just something that I noticed. Um <laughs> But, like, Bulbasaur's cute, so who, who cares anyway? So going back to those Pokemon cards for a brief second. Oh, yeah. Because um, you don't know how to play the card game. I don't. Um, I highly recommend learning how to play the card game, which I only learned, uh, like, six months ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, can you but... buy more cards, and then we can play on, like, live, live stream maybe, or maybe just webcam? Oh, shoot. That'd be so cool. That would be so fun. That'd be so cool. Can we have game nights? That'd be fun. That'd be a fun way to, to keep up. But um, I only learned how to play the Pokemon cards because our friend uh, Alec, who works um, with Yacht Club Games, mm-hmm. uh, they're working on their, their DLC for King Knight, which includes an expansion called King of Cards, where right. there's a card game embedded inside of the Shovel Knight game, which is such a cool idea, such a cool thing. Um, but for research, he was playing through the Pokemon card game video games, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, and apparently they were so good that he, uh, gave me some very high praise of those games, highly recommended playing them. And now I will bestow that recommendation to you and anyone listening. Yeah. Cause if Alec recommends a game, you know, it's really good. It's gotta be good. Yeah. Uh, it is difficult to get Alec, uh, so on board with the video game like that. Um, so it's on the 3DS, uh, eShop. You can get the first Pokemon trading card video game. And it's literally just like a Pokemon game where there's like an overworld and you go to different regions and you talk to people and then you battle them. But instead of the Pokemon battles, it's a Pokemon card game battle. Like it would um, be in real life. Yeah, you know, just like in real life. <laughs> and it's great because it was made for the Game Boy Color, if I remember correctly. And that means that the uh, resolution of the screen is like super low, but they have to try and render the art that's on the Pokemon cards into the Game Boy Color. Oh man. Um, which is a difficult thing to do because the Pokemon cards are like sweet. We can take as much uh, imaginative detail to these cards as we can, and the illustrations are lavishly painted and uh, full of texture and detail, and then they have to like, compress that down to the Game Boy Color palette, and it's just like, hmm, <laughs> yeah, that's not quite a face. That's just like a, a few blobs. <laughs> that's just a blob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it was cool learning how to play the video game because as kids, like, I think you and I collected the cards. Yeah. But we, didn't, we didn't know how to play. We just collected them. because My, it, my siblings good. and I would collect it, um, although I recall my, my brother at some point after... As a family, we kind of died down on the Pokemon craze. Um, and I remember at some point he uh, cut out faces from magazines or something and pasted them on all the cards. Um, <laughs> what? So, pretty sure those cards became unusable at a certain point. Don't know where they are now. <laughs> um, you know. I want to see an art gallery where that's what's on all the walls. It's just Pokemon cards with, 
with like little actors faces actresses pasted faces onto, them. onto them. Yeah, that sounds. That would be, and we'd be all like, wow, what does it mean? When I when I bought this Pokemon deck, it came with these little like um, unlock ten additional cards to play and complete online. Like there's a there's an online like trading oh. card game now for Pokemon, yeah. um, which is like totally understandable because it's 2019 and like every card game has an online version now. Um, which is not a bad thing. I don't know. I don't know if that sounded sarcastic. Is it like Hearthstone? I don't know. Um, I haven't looked at looked at it yet. Um, but I'm curious. But like, I really like owning physical cards, so I don't really want to get into a digital card game right now. Yeah. I, I'm just like I'm just I'm I'm still like holding these like Detective Pikachu cards in my hand. I got a Jigglypuff. I got the Detective Pikachu Jigglypuff card, and I'm just like marveling at it. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, I love them all. I want to watch that movie again. I really wish I could have seen it with you guys. Yeah, I wish you were there. I wish you were there. It was a we had a fun crowd because it was yeah. full of Pokemon fans who were just teetering on the borderline between charmingly enthusiastic and really really annoying. Like <laughs> they they played that line like it, they they played it like a fiddle. Just like <laughs> what's it gonna be? What's it gonna be, you guys? Are you gonna obnoxiously yell out the name of every Pokemon as soon as it shows up on screen? Or are you just gonna be like super cheering and happy and like giddy that kind See, of thing? My my theater was full of mostly like parents and their kids, and the kids were pretty Aww. quiet. But it was also Alamo Draft House, so yeah. like I really wanted to just be like, "That's a Taurus, <laughs> oh, that's a Togepi," and I. But like I just had to like sit there and just like smile like a, like an idiot. Like I'm just so happy watching all of this. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I might see it again. Like I just, I have to. John Wick comes out next this week, I think. Oh goodness, May is May is going to be a month month for movies. Did you see that Mike Bithell is making a video game of John Wick? Oh yeah, I saw a tweet about that. Did you see the trailer? No. Oh, it's it's rad. It's oh, rad. Oh, it's cool. Oh, it's rad. Should I pull it up? Yeah, you should pull it up. Give it a watch. It's called like Hex or something, right? Yeah, John Wick Hex. Okay, okay. We I I was like, I actually a question. Is it Bithel or Bithel? Bithel? Well, I mean, I've only I've always heard people say Bithel. Okay, because I've also heard people say Bithel, and I like eight bit hell. Yeah, which seems like not a real name, but if it's his real name, okay. I don't so Mike, get it wrong. I'm just gonna say Bithel. Um, okay. So can you tell us who Mike Bithel is? While I Mike Bithel is a game designer from the UK who worked on Thomas Was Alone. That was like his breakout breakout game project. Uh, he also worked on a stealth game called Volume. And then after that, he put out a bunch of very small interactive fiction games. Um, subsurface, Circular, uh, and a different subsurface game. Um, and those are like detective games. They're really, really cool. All of his games sort of have like a high visual presentation. Despite the fact that Thomas is alone, it's about like a bunch of squares. Like he's got a great eye for uh, visual storytelling and writing, and uh, that's that's been sort of uh, his distinguishing trait as a designer. Has been like really really good writing. I'm just I'm watching the trailer now, and he clearly paid attention to the to the color palette <laughs> of uh, of John Wick. It looks it looks pretty cool. It's like a it, it looks a little like an XCOM type. Thing? Yeah, it seems to be more strategy than yeah. action, uh, which is a cool way to interpret um, to interpret John Wick's action like mm -hmm. scenes uh, because they are very calculated and controlled and cool. Um, and to feel like John Wick, I feel like if 
I was in a first-person shooter, I wouldn't feel like John Wick. I would have to play something yeah. like super. Like if I play super hot, that's when I feel like John Wick. Yeah, where I'm just like getting yeah. perfect, perfect shots, and that's. And with a strategy puzzle. game like this, when you get really good at it, you'll probably go as fast as John Wick would be, right? Yeah. Like just making those calculations so quickly. So totally. I think that's that's a really good way to take it. Yeah. And the exciting thing is that like uh, the other thing that's really distinguished uh, Mike Bithell has been working with uh, working with like. Um, high-profile actors high-profile actors yeah um he's he works with proper thespians um in his games that wait what did i say you said thespians oops i'm gonna let you say that word (laughs) pretty sure it's childhood my childhood lisp will just like suddenly reemerge when i try saying that (laughs) (laughs) uh movies movies video games movies and video games colliding into one (laughs) big fire level <laughs> let's talk about books you read yeah. any books before you know about books yeah i i used to be a huge fan of silver wing oh oh dang oh, okay i wasn't going to talk about silver wing but that book series rules it's wacky as hell when it gets to the end like it's weird they go to hell yeah they go to hell that's like the third book or the second book i think yeah it's about like these bats and so like the first book is about these bats that are is it the first book or the second book where it's based on real World War One stuff? First book. Where they okay, where like they the would first strap... book is relatively grounded. Like, like they still have like their own bat society and lore and religion and stuff, and it's like cool because it's like it's bats. Bats are dope. And but they would like... strap these bats to bombs and throw them out of airplanes, and that was like the basis for like the plot of the book. Yeah, <laughs> and that was like a real a real thing apparently. I mean, I believe it. It's so wacky. But yeah, Silverwing. Um, actually, even before then, my favorite like story time book as a chill child was Stella Luna. Chill, because... ti- chill child. You were a chill what? child. Huh? Uh, yeah, I, I, a... I, I just can't say that word. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> chill child. But no, chill like child, it, it's child. a it's like a children's book called Stella Luna, and it's about a fruit bat that I guess gets lost from her parents or something, and yeah. she like eats fruit and is sad for a while, and then she finds her people again. I don't really remember the story. Plus but it was about a bat. Really tasty. Yeah. How did Eating you... Fruit. Okay, so I read and was obsessed with all of these same stories, and it leaves me wondering how I became deeply obsessed with Batman and you didn't. Like, how did that... Well, I mean, <laughs> Batman is always a very... It was always a very, like, male-centric thing, and mm. I but was... it's like in... brooding dark vampires, and you're all about that. Yeah, but, like, I was also watching... When I was introducing myself to television... I was watching like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and stuff on that channel, mm-hmm. and I don't know that what, did Batman air on Cartoon Network. It was on like WB stuff, which is where they're airing Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. So it would have been on the same channel, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know why I didn't get into into um, Batman. It must have aired at a different time than I was when I was watching it, or maybe it was just too scary for me at the time. I don't. know. Batman don't... is just the same story as Stella Luna. No. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> Stella Luna is a titan. What? I love her. I'm sorry. What's the oh, book okay. that you I, wanted I'm to sorry. review? I thought, you, I thought you meant Stella Luna is like a titan is in like literally like Greek mythology. And I was like, did I completely misremember no. that story? Like, whoa. No. Okay. But you read, you read a new book. Video games and books. I was going to recommend, or maybe... Uh, this book I read this week called Fun Taste in Games. 
by fun taste in games and games fun comma fun taste comma and, and games you got by it. who well, who's the author the author is john sharp and david thomas um and disclaimer the book comes with a review on the back of it from my father and also <gasps> our uh friend and mentor richard lamarchand oh cool um my father says fun taste in games is playfully serious and seriously playful sharp and thomas provide thoughtful meditations and provocations on the state of game design through a concise lucid survey of how the english-speaking world has theorized video games and richard says this witty insightful and well-researched book significantly advances the conversation around a concept that often eludes the best players and the smartest designers so we did look at this book during the episode that I recorded when I, when we were there, when I yeah. was there. Yeah, I hadn't read it yet, though. So This is the full review. You've read it now. full book review, because we talked about uh, last week, I uh, read through Situational Game Design. Highly recommend that book to literally everybody involved in the games industry. Super short book. That, that book is um, very much, like, definitely designed intentionally to fit into... The lives of students, the lives of working professionals, like it is quick to get through, very straight to the point, super slim, can read it in, um, in just a few sittings. Um, this book is a little bit thicker, um, not just because I have a hardback here, but it's also much, much denser to the point where the opening chapters are back-to-back, sentence-after-sentence references to dozens of other game literatures and essays and things it is the it is the avengers infinity war of (laughs) of game academia texts it's the the most ambitious ambitious crossover (laughs) the most ambitious crossover book uh now this is being a little bit glib because uh part of the purpose of like an academic text is to situate itself into the canon and history of everything that has been written beforehand to put itself sort of into into a history and a canon um, and to make sure that's building on on the past as opposed to reinventing sort of a wheel but it makes it very very difficult to read and i have a hard time thinking of uh like thinking of a recommendation for this book for like broad swaths of people like if you're into game academia it's a good book otherwise it is like the opening is really dense it gets really good by the end in a more like general relatable sense in that the essays are much more personal from the author's lives um they're not as intertextual or paratextual like it's just if you know about basketball you will understand the basketball essay and you'll be able to connect and learn from it um but those are at the back of the book um which is a shame because i think that's what like people would really really enjoy and come away with if they if they do that is this the kind of book that you would read front to back or could you jump around to different essays I think you could jump around to different chapters. Um, they are pretty self-contained, and if they build on ideas or reference things in previous chapters, they will explicitly say which chapter they're referencing if you need more information, but they also summarize it very well inside of it. So it's probably better to approach it that way, as like a collection of essays mm-hmm. as opposed to like a single narrative, even though it does have sort of like a through line that it tries to go through um, with it. But it's it's a it's a good book, but it's definitely not for everyone. And I had trouble keeping up with its opening, even though I have literally read every single text that it references. 
Like, wow. Okay. I was like, I know that, I know that, I know that, but I couldn't come away with it understanding sort of like why it was so steeped in it. And I know that that's like the academia tradition um, is to be able to draw a line across like these are all the writings that have ever happened. Here's how they all connect. Here's the through line and narrativize sort of that history. But um, as someone like working professionally, but also with a like strong background in academia, I still had trouble um, mm. working through there. So, so what's the biggest takeaway from this book, do you think? The biggest takeaway from fun taste in games is that everybody plays differently, enjoys things differently. Um, and that ultimately what that means is that we shouldn't shame other people or gatekeep uh in terms of like what games can be and stuff which is very nice yeah it's a very it's a very uh sweet message to come away with i however found it a little uh a little simple that might be a little bit a little bit too harsh but it was like what do you mean because you just said it was like a really academic book yeah it was a really really academic book and uh what do you mean what do you mean too simple i guess is my question too simple of like a conclusion to sort of draw Mm. i think like it's not a very deep conclusion that like gatekeeping is bad what it does successfully is sort of like being able to take a lot of history of uh game scholarship and game studies and stuff going back decades in some cases to be able to show why that conclusion makes sense on a very thorough level so it does a good job of like of really showing you why gatekeeping is bad yeah and it's it's able to do that with references to sort of like contemporary events but also like looking at the past and history where a lot of the um approaches to game scholarship has been like let's try to figure out how to define games and like lock down what games are um so that we can better talk about it and i think there's like a definitely a pragmatic place for that some applications are only going to really like some techniques and stuff are only going to really refer to one definition of games than another and there are pragmatic reasons for for that um but overall that can be used as a as a tool for like harm and stuff and can slow down uh exploitations of the field and things and so the game works at looking at how fun can be much broader in its interpretation than um, a lot of typical game texts would look at or how different game texts bring out different parts of the word these definitions and stuff that mm. wouldn't be in conjunction with each other, but if we look at something in a much broader umbrella, we can see how uh, how they're all valid and can all connect and stuff. So in that way, it's it is a it is a good book there, but um, I can only really recommend it to either the hardcore academics or people who would be willing to skip the first few chapters to see right. the cool stuff. Um, see, I, I so it sounds like based on that, it sounds like it's not a book that I would get a lot out of because if I read anything even remotely academic, I'm like I'm I'm asleep like halfway through the first sentence. Um, mm-hmm. But I would be interested to check out Situational Design because it's it's short and sweet. The only book that I've been quote unquote reading is the Dictionary of Japanese Idioms that Tim Rogers mentioned in his Let's Mosey series because I'm trying to teach myself Japanese and seemed like a good tool. And it's actually a sweet little book. It's like, it's small, it's like handheld. It's like, it's like, it's very, it's, it's clearly meant to go like in your bag or whatever, but uh, it'll be, it'll be a useful tool. I really like, I really like how the book is constructed physically. <laughs> oh, it's small I will totally, I will, I will buy books sometimes just because it's like, oh, this looks good to hold. Like, yeah, right? It's in my hand. Like, nice. a, 
a good book design isn't just about the cover and the color of the pages or whatever the heck it like people sometimes just wait get way too ostentatious with their books like just give me something that has a durable cover that's small and light and because that way it's not intimidating it'll it'll force you to get everything all the important information out there without any fluff like i would love to see a book books. with a holographic cover though heck like this yeah Pokemon card. oh no another children's book did that because it was another favorite of mine for that exact same reason. I'm glad our audience is getting their fill of the top content they come to us for, which is children's book recommendations. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's called The Rainbow Fish. Oh, yeah, that book is great. You're, you're, you know, you're... The Rainbow Fish and Fun Taste and Games are the same book. <laughs> but no, like, the, the, the reason I liked The Rainbow Fish is because some of, her, some of her scales had that holographic finishing on them in the cover, and maybe even some of the pages. Really... See, books. Books are good, I think. I should read more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's it for the episode today. All right, let's log off. Log off. Thanks again to um, Clover and Sea Life for our theme song. Check out Clover and Sea Life at twitter.com and check us out at twitter.com. Free, free Wi Fi podcast. Wi Fi podcast. That's yeah. right. Um, uh, shout at us for not working on video games or something. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Yay! Yay. Bye!